Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. Hey, welcome everybody to the Confident Retirement Podcast. I am your host here, Chris Fleming, as always. And today I have the honor of welcoming Jonathan Merrill to the show. His law firm in the Chicagoland area provides comprehensive guidance, compassionate support in divorce and family law situations. Their philosophy is building strong trust with clients, building a solid legal strategy, and frequent communication. Jonathan, thanks for being here today, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. Happy to be here. Thank you. We're going to have some fun. So you have an interesting background story. I was kind of checking you out on your website and stuff like that. So why don't you take me through briefly how you got to where you are today? Yeah, well, I'm a Chicagoan, born and raised in Chicago, the suburbs, went to law school in Chicago after college, legal career started here, legal career still going here, family here. So I'm deep rooted in Chicago. So Went to law school because I really didn't know what else to do after college. I knew I like maybe wanted to be an attorney, but yeah. wasn't sure. I figured law school would be a good base for whatever I do anyway. So went to law school in the city, ended up getting a law clerking job at a divorce and family law firm that was well-established. And I immediately liked it. I'm, I'm just not the type of person who's going to be like to just be behind a computer and, you know, going through a million pieces of paper or transactional. I needed the like human interaction and okay. dealing with real human problems. So it immediately clicked with me, um, went on to work at a, a different family law firm after passing the bar exam, was there about seven years kind of used that opportunity to obviously learn the law, how to practice law. And I also used it what I liked and didn't like about law firms in general. I knew at the end, I always wanted to start my own practice. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was just kind of gathering tidbits and making mental notes as to what I liked and didn't like. And if I started my own practice, you know, how that would go. And ultimately, I built up the caseload and the courage to start my own practice went out on my own in 2009 and have continued to grow the practice. It was just me. Now we're up to 20 attorneys almost 14 years later. And, um, you know, it's been a great journey, lots of ups and downs along the way, but I did it. Well, you started right after the financial crisis. That was 08, 09. But, you know, I've often heard people say that divorce is kind of recession or financial crisis proof. Um, people are still kind of like in my profession, people still retire, you know, regardless of right. what's going on. And there are some things that can affect that. But yeah. is that so you mentioned there was like a trigger. Was it just that you happened into the family law clerkship when you first started out? Was there something specific about it that clicked with you and, and said, oh, is was it just a people perspective of it? Or was there something that really triggered or clicked that? You know, that- I was just. It always kind of piqued my interest, but I kind of fell into the job because I knew my boss at that time and who offered me the job. And I thought, all right, I'll try this. This seems interesting. You know, 
flashback to all like the LA law and roar of the roses, everything you see on Hollywood. You're like, wow, this must be crazy. I didn't come from a parents who were divorced. Yeah. But obviously, you know, divorce is prevalent in our society. Yeah. It just right. kind of thought it made me think like, wow, this may be something I could do. You learn about it. You learn the ins and outs of it. You're dealing, like I said, with people yeah. and um, it's never dull. So right. my job right. never gets boring. Right. And you think you've seen it all, and then you wake yeah. up the next day and something crazy happens. Yeah, so yeah that keeps me going for sure. Right. The truth is stranger than fiction. Yes. <laughs> well, and that's one thing about, you know, crazy is never boring. So Definitely. it's, it's yeah. always going to be interesting, and that will uh, keep your interest picked. Okay, so now if you could go back in time, maybe to 09, talk to the younger you, give the younger Jonathan some advice, something that you know now that you wish you knew when you started your own practice. What do you think that that advice would be? That's a tough one because, you know, I, I people ask me that question a lot. I mean, I guess to take more risks would okay. be something, but that's something I learned early on. And thankfully for me, a lot of the risks I took paid off, not all of them, yeah. but I feel like as a business owner, you have to be willing to take a risk or get out of your comfort zone is a better way to put it. Because mm -hmm. I remember... When I started the firm, like you said, financial crisis, 2009, I already had a young daughter. My second daughter was about to be born. Everyone close to me is like, you're crazy. You're going from like, you know, a salary or paycheck you're getting to starting your own firm. But I knew I was ready despite the economy and where the country was financially. Yeah. And that was, you know, that was a risk. But after that, you know, as you continue to grow your firm, it's, there are more risks that present themselves and hiring your first associate, hiring mm -hmm. your first paralegal, all these things you're thinking, well, I have to pay another person now before I get paid. You know, that's something that's terrifying when yeah. you're starting your own business, when you're expanding a young business, when you need to put food on your own table. But, you know, sometimes I think younger business owners or new business owners are somewhat timid and you know maybe i don't want to take this risk when i've learned you have to spend money to make money yeah. and even if it is you know a risk financially of course you don't want to be reckless and do things that can run mm -hmm. your business into the ground but something that might not feel perfectly right but you know long term might help you and grow your business that's something i learned early on that you got to do it and not everything works out but if you take those risks and you know you're working your ass off the whole time hopefully they pay off yeah right well and that's just that's business owner 101 and not everyone's cut out for that and some people try it and they're they're not good at it and there's nothing wrong with that it's just it does take sort of a certain mentality or you have to be to a certain degree a risk taker or at least a measured risk taker in order for that to be successful. I agree with you there. I've certainly found that to be true as well. So we've talked a little bit about how you picked your areas of focus. So maybe walk us through uh, what an ideal client looks like for your firm. Sure. Well, obviously, anyone's ideal client is someone that could, you know, pay for your services. So that <laughs> always helps. Yeah, it always helps getting paid for the work you do. But, you know, I've never, even though some of my competitors have kind of, you know, given like minimums or yeah. you know, established limitations and what clients they would take. And of course, I'm not going to take a client that I don't think is solvent enough to pay yeah. me. But right. we're, I'm not scared about taking clients that might not qualify as like the perfect client because mm -hmm. if I can get a case that's not as complicated 
and perhaps there's not as as you know a ton of money at issue or at risk or tons of you know complicated issues. I don't mind taking those cases and using them for my younger attorneys to sure. get experience on. Mm-hmm. So those kind of cases are great for training young lawyers, for training people who are new to the industry and allowing them to cut their teeth and, you know, work on a case themselves and kind of, you know, give them a longer leash when, you know, there are basic concepts that aren't too complex and obviously using those experiences for them to grow and gain confidence on their own. So while an yeah. ideal client, of course, is, you know, someone with high net worth, and that's usually our target. You know, I often take cases that are on the opposite end of the spectrum just to get, you know, some work and training yeah. for my younger people. Well, and those people, it's all the uh, resources they have and uh, the situation they're going through is important to them. So you want to try to get them on the other side of it so they can move forward with their life. I'm, w- okay. I'm with you on that. So you probably do a, a certain level of training and you guys have kind of maybe a mindset or a philosophy around how you work with people. So what are some common fears or concerns that clients commonly have when they're working with your practice? Um, I'm sure they come in and say, well, I don't care what happens. I just want, you know, this to be okay. This to be, that and that'll be okay. Right. Well, as much as we're lawyers, we are educators because a lot of people come into family law and divorce. They usually have not gone through it. Of course, some people have, but they really don't know how the process works. And, you know, especially people who are maybe not in charge of the finances and, you know, not to stereotype, but if, you know, if there was a woman who, you know, stayed home with the children while the husband went off to work and they were never really involved in the finances. And then for the first time in their lives, they're presented with a situation where, you know, they have to understand the intricacies of finance and bills and how the money works and what assets they have and where to keep the money. And, you know, that on top of the legal process itself you know, it's important to educate them about that. So a lot of people come in and they really just don't know a lot, period. Mm -hmm. And it's our job to teach them how things work. And, you know, of course, that applies to situations involving money, how to allocate parenting time between the children, um, providing assets, teaching about retirement accounts, tax implications, all these things that you obviously probably deal with as well with your clients. A good portion of that obviously is involved in family law cases. Yeah. Okay. And I noticed that you have a real emphasis on your website and also in our conversation about consistent communication. So why do you feel like that's such an important part of the process when you're working with someone? Yeah. I mean, communication, of course, with any client relationship is key, but you know, especially in ours, because we have people going through what's often the most emotional and traumatic experiences of their life. And they need someone to talk to. They need that lifeline. And they look to their attorneys, typically first and foremost, to be that lifeline. So mm. I've just experienced, again, as you deal with other law firms or, you, you know, clients are coming to me from attorneys that they didn't like. I'm always asking, well, you know, what didn't you like about your right. private lawyer? Why are you switching law firms? And so many of them are like, I would not hear back from my attorney. I would email them. I would text them, I'd call them, and I wouldn't hear back. And that obviously resonated with me. That was something I prided myself on before that, but even more reason now to stress availability, communication. And of course, there needs to be a line drawn. I'm not 
24 boundaries drive through. But um, at the same time, these people need their lawyers. And, you know, some of them may abuse the concept of us being available all the time. But for the most part, you know, they understand that we have lives outside of work too, but you have to be there for them when they're going through these things, because otherwise, you know, they're going to look elsewhere to a lawyer that does that. And I would never want that to happen. Yeah. Well, plus they just feel out of touch and they, they don't have, they feel, they already feel like things are out of control, right? Not having any communication or feedback or to hear back from the person supposed to be helping them uh, is even worse. I've often had clients tell me that, that um, not that we over communicate in a bad way, but the reason that people feel connected to us is because of our level of communication that we do, even when things aren't going so well, um, we're still communicating with people. And it's, it's amazing to me, whether it's the restaurant business or whatever, how many businesses, they just don't get that. They, yeah. and they don't get it right. And then they think, well, what, what's, what, what happened or what's the matter? Well, you didn't make the person feel like they were even a human or that they mattered. So what do you want them to do? Exactly. And that's a good point, though, too. It's not. And again, I talk about this on LinkedIn a good amount. I mean, yes, we are there to be their lawyers. Yeah. You know, we're not their friends, so yeah. to say. But that doesn't mean you can't act like friends. Yeah. And you can't establish a personal connection. And, you know, when they call me, I want them to feel comfortable, not that they're talking to some guy suited up who's, you know, lawyer, lawyer, lawyer. You want them to be comfortable to be able to be, to confide in you, to tell you obviously their deepest secrets and, you know, feel that we actually care about them, which we do. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you've, you've already kind of mentioned that this is one of life's biggest transitions. And for a lot of people, it's a huge stressor, right? toughest thing they've ever gone through almost like a death so how how have you found what is maybe some tactics or what do you what does your firm do to help kind of de-stress the process for them look as serious it is i personally and again everyone has their different styles i like to try to make people laugh a little Mm -hmm. and you know it's not everything is not of course a funny situation but yeah again try to lighten the mood a little um, it's obviously, you know, be a hand holder. Everything's going to be okay. You're going to be fine yeah. in the end. Explain to them why. And again, as I alluded to before, you have to have that personal connection like two humans who get along with each other do. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, so many people have to say, this is business and I need to separate it. And of course, I can't get personally invested in these cases or else yeah. I'm going to lose my, you know, sight and perspective and my edge. But that doesn't mean I can't interact with my client as, you know, a friend or a personal manner to make them mm-hmm. feel comfortable. And it, it makes everything work better. So, you know, while we're often wearing that therapist hat yeah. along with our lawyer hat, you know, I just reach out and say, you know, try to talk to people to make them comfortable because mm-hmm. a lot of times talking to attorneys or professionals can be intimidating, especially when something like this is going on. Yeah. Well, what do they said? If we don't laugh, then we're going to cry. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Now I, I know there's probably some misconceptions that people have about what you do or your, or what your attorneys are capable of. Right. Sure. So what are some common ones that you, that you guys encounter? About misconceptions about divorce? Yeah. What, well, no, or about what the attorney can do, what you can accomplish, what you're able to, to do. Well, look, even though we don't like it, like I just said, some people think we are their therapists too. Obviously, you know, we put ourselves out there as their lawyers, 
And I think a good lawyer, especially in family law, will kind of act as that, you know, shoulder to cry on because crying often comes, the emotions come. Mm -hmm. Some expect that. And, you know, because they do, I personally don't mind like being that therapist type person, even though I'm not formally trained as a therapist. Over the years in this business, you certainly learn how to, you know, comfort people and, you know, appeal to them so they feel calmed down because you really do have to calm them down. And a lot of people are Mm -hmm. so emotionally charged that if you don't kind of get them focused and settled down, they're not going to be able to make rational decisions that are based on logic. They will make them based on emotion, which is when cases really get out of control. Yeah, that's the outcomes they don't want. Exactly. But I mean, other expectations, you know, for the most part, they have an expectation that we know everything. And, you know, obviously, while we get to know different areas of the law, which are all involved in family law and divorce, you know, when it comes to being an actuary or valuing a business, that's kind of where we look to experts. And, you know, we can't offer opinions on that because we're trained as attorneys, not experts in you know valuation or um, forensic accountants and tax stuff so you know we look to we look for help and expertise in areas um and i think oftentimes clients think well why do i need an expert i have you um when experts of course can give a much more reasoned analysis based right right well and that's like going to an eye doctor for an eye surgery and then they get a toothache and and you go, well, we need to see a dentist about that. And they go, well, I'm already here. Can't you just fix my teeth? Right. <laughs> it's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Those are different. Yeah, you probably don't body. want that person fixing your teeth. <laughs> right, right. I could pull it out if you want right. cut it out. If that's what you want, that's my solution. So, exactly. okay, now I know with a lot of people with divorce, what they try to do, you try to settle outside. You try to do something amicable. You know, you want to try to avoid going to court. I know very small percentage of situations that actually actually go to court where the judge is deciding everything. But um, when they can't come to a mutual agreement, why do you feel like uh, a client would want a successful litigator with experience on their side if it has to go in that direction? Well, look, every attorney in my firm is a litigator. So we know that that's a possibility. And, you know, while being amicable and resolving cases outside of court should always be the first option. Sometimes it's not an option. So, you know, we need to tell the clients that, you know, if plan A doesn't work and plan B is litigating, you know, we're ready to go to battle. I mean, we're in court all the time. And, you know, while it's an unfortunate part of divorce, oftentimes it is necessary, especially if you have a party or opposing counsel who's being unrealistic or giving unrealistic expectations, you need to go to the judge who will mm-hmm. you know, hopefully show them how the law works and applies to their case and, you know, squash the issue. So, yeah. you know, you also have people who are just so diametrically opposed on everything and hate yeah. each other so much that even if it is an easy case, um, as I say, your case can be easy, but difficult people make can make easy cases impossible. So if you have that, you know, set up, your case yeah. is going to go through the ringer, of course, and take a long time and probably cost more money. Yeah. Every, I always uh, say everybody reserves the right to be dysfunctional. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and they <Okay>. certainly do. <laughs> All right. So when there's no lack of conflict in the world today. So <laughs> let's switch gears just a little bit, Jonathan. Okay. I'm curious, as, as far as your building your practice and your business goes, what do you 
see as the biggest opportunity for you going forward? I think the biggest opportunity for the business I've built is to capitalize on the culture we've built at my firm. I'm a big culture person. And I think a lot of my competitors have kind of lost sight of that. They don't have, I mean, I understand the climate we're in. A lot of people work from home and that's kind of the new normal, but I've always, you know, along with the other leaders in my firm, I've always, you know, made it a point to keep people in the office as much as we can. And, you know, we have a hybrid where people have the ability to work from home. But once you have people work from home, you really lose that culture, that in-office feeling and, you know, the place where people want to come in and work and be around people that they like and get along with. And, you know, it's really the the machine that we've created requires people to be physically present. Yeah. And um, that has allowed us to create this culture that we have. And I really want to, like hone in on that and use that as, you know, a starting point and a talking point for trying to recruit the best talent. So while, you know, my other competitors are obviously excellent law firms, a lot of times no one sees each other and they don't have that ability to just kind of go into a great office environment, you know, rub shoulders with each other, bounce ideas off each other. So I've really stressed that and, you know, continuing to build the culture I have, which I'm hoping I could use in the future as an opportunity to continue to get good people in the door. Yeah, well, I think there are some industries and or jobs or professions where that that is really, a really, really important. I put ours in that category as well. I was interviewing somebody recently and they're really qualified. We're doing a phone interview. They said, I like everything about it. I just have one question. Am I able to do this completely remotely? Yeah. And I was like, wait, you missed the whole point. Well, <laughs> I thought we were on the same track here, but I mean, I know you, it's hard. It. It's hard to deal with those situations. Yeah, like right. there is an expectation. And yeah. again, what I don't understand is this world functioned by going to work forever yeah. as long as people actually went to work. Right. Then, of course, we had this crisis, which I yeah. understand you know, change perspectives and people couldn't go into the office. But I mean, if that's no longer around and, you know, a concern to people, I don't understand why people just can't go back to work. I get the allure of working from home, the freedom. And again, industries are different. There are industries where you don't have to be in an office to function and, you know, people just kind of operate on their own and it works. But for those human interactions, especially and I talk about this all the time. I mean, there are, there are attorneys in my industry who have been practicing law for two years that have never been in an office and never been in a courtroom. Mm-hmm. That can't be good long term yeah. for the state of the legal system and the yeah. legal industry. If you have lawyers who are learning you know, how to practice law from their couch, yeah. and I just don't see how that's good long term. So we especially stress you know, making sure our younger attorneys are in the office all the time so they can yeah. learn, so they could be a sponge for that information and use that to obviously as a springboard for their career. Yeah. Well, I, th- I thought you could just learn everything on YouTube. Or, or yeah, Google of course. You don't, <laughs> have to do that. you don't even need to take the bar exam. Just watch no. a few YouTube videos. That. Right. 20 hours of that, you're good. Okay. <laughs> so now on the flip side of that, Jonathan, you talked about your biggest opportunity. What do you see as your biggest challenge? Maybe an obstacle that you're you want to overcome um, for the business. 
Well, it's really in the same mold. It's, you know, finding good talent. You and I were kind of talking about that before. It just seems harder to find good people. And whether that's a generational thing or just the state of the job market or the state of our society coming out of the pandemic, it's hard to find people. And, you know, once you find them and you if you are fortunate enough to get them, you also you have to make them very happy. I mean, this is certainly like an employee dominated industry. And that's fine. I mean, I have no problem doing whatever it takes to, you know, make my employees happy where they're working. And, you know, I always make it a point that's a priority of mine to make sure my employees are happy. But you got to find the right employees first. And, you know, it also puts pressure by, you know, whether it's having to pay higher wages or give more benefits or not that I don't like doing those things. But sometimes, you know, it gets a little hairy with the bottom line, which at the end of the day, we're running a business that we're trying to be profitable, profitable. And, you know, if your overhead's up, it's harder to do that. Yeah, it's definitely a challenging time I've seen. And just in the hiring, the uh, people that are seeking jobs are definitely have the leverage right now. For sure. Yeah. So, okay. So we're close to the end. Jonathan, if people want to learn more about you or contact you, what's the best way for them to do that? Easiest way, our chicagodivorce.com. It's the easy domain that we have. Um, chicagodivorce.com will get you to our website. If you have any questions, I'm always available. You can email me. You can also reach out to me on LinkedIn and I'd be happy to talk to anybody. Okay. Awesome. Listen, I want to thank you, Jonathan, for being here with me today. It's been a great conversation. Very happy to spend this time with you. And I want to thank everyone for tuning into the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we are hoping to bring the confidence of everyday people to another level, one show at a time. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in and listening. Jonathan, thanks again. Appreciate the conversation, buddy. Yeah, Chris, thanks for having me. This was awesome. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.